Hello and welcome to the OA for Lent. The OA for Lent is a digital Lenten study guide and podcast that we've created based on the hit Netflix show, The OA. We're the creators and your hosts. I'm Keith Anderson. And I'm Martin Malzahn. And in this episode, we'll be talking all about the OA episode four, entitled Away. To see the study guide and follow along and let us know what you think, uh, to find scripture references, reflection questions, and spiritual practices as well, visit our website, theoaforlent.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, on with the show. Well, thanks for tuning into this podcast. Again, I'm Martin Malzahn, along with uh, Keith Anderson, and we're looking at this episode as the halfway point of the series. In the online study guide, I spend a little bit more time unpacking what that might mean. In general, though, I think that this is where the story is either going to fall together for people or fall apart. And I've got to admit that for me, it works. My spirituality has been formed in church basements of the Midwest, but it's also been formed in college classrooms, in art galleries, in science labs, in interfaith conversations, along hiking trails, to some degree, I guess, even in the protest marches of the California Bay where I went to seminary. Hmm. All that's to say that I can get down with a TV show uh, as a spiritual geography map. Um, This episode really worked for me, Keith, in the sense that we began to see a woman who has a near-death experience who then recovers her sight and then moves back into life with a new mission. You know, what what did this episode uh, communicate for you? Well, I love this episode because um, so much was revealed in this episode. That was my favorite thing about it. So we've been doing these podcasts for the last three episodes, and we've been biting our tongues because we've been binge-watched the OA a couple times each by now. And we've been really careful not to try to give anything away. But here in this episode, we have angels. We have um, a hint about the meaning of the OA's name. Katoon calls her the original. Uh, We learn about the first movement. We find out what happens after the gas with Hap's experiments. Uh, And so all of these things in this series are coming to light. And as you say in the study guide, this episode four, this midway point in the show is this pivotal moment where things are beginning, now that the stage has been set by the first three episodes, things are beginning to open up. Yeah, I, I think for it opens up in this really interesting way. We've had a couple of folks who've been following along, and a shout out to Victor, who asked you know some pretty detailed questions. And one of my responses to him is, was, I'm not sure exactly how it works, and I'm not completely invested in figuring out the details, but I know that it does work. Uh, and that that's the way I feel, I think, in general about a lot of uh, how the show works. I'm less interested in kind of nitpicking the details, but I'm saying, like, you know, as a large story arc, this is really working. You know, this way of telling stories, but also conceiving of life after death, but also, you know, a spirituality lived among us. Yeah, I think there's a lot in the Christian tradition that embraces mystery and unknowing, like the classic book, The Cloud of Unknowing from the Middle Ages. Um, But that is a part of our tradition that we don't lift up very much. And it's a part that people can be very uncomfortable with, you know, um, in our Enlightenment age, where in our scientific age, where we need to know how everything works and how all the dots connect. uh, There's a large part of our spiritual tradition that is really about living with and into the mystery of God. 
And uh, I'm okay with that. That's where I gravitate to in my own spiritual walk. So uh, I can hold open, you know, if, if all the answers aren't there, if things aren't buttoned together exactly right, you know, I can be okay with that. And I think that's probably part of faith. Yeah, I, I remember some years ago, Keith, we were talking and you actually had a spiritual director mm-hmm. who gave you like different words to meditate on. Do you remember, do you remember, do you remember this? Yes. Yeah, I've had a number of number of spiritual directors over the years, <laughs> um, from uh, Quaker, uh, UCC, uh, Episcopal monk, um, and yeah, they've all. I mean, they all have the same job. They all do it a little differently. But spiritual directors are meant to help you listen for God, you know, and listen for God in your life. And we really do need people in our lives to help us to do that because uh, we are so close to our own experience. We just need somebody to help reflect back to us the things that they're hearing and seeing and asking us questions to go deeper with our wonderings and our questions and the nudge that's probably already there for us, which is why we looked for a spiritual director or we went on a retreat or we're maybe listening to this podcast and following along on this study. Well, I wonder if in some ways that's what Katoon does for us as viewers, as well as for Prairie as she dies and for the OA as she'll become. If she's serving as, is she a spirit guide? Is she God? Is she an angel? Exactly what role does Katoon play? But the role she's playing very clearly is she's asking uh, questions, right? And saying, like, what do you want to do with your life now that you have this information? And one of the things I liked about Katoon was she wasn't giving answers. She was posing questions instead and posing hard choices to the OA. And I think sometimes when we imagine the afterlife, we imagine it's a place where we're going to know all the answers about everything. And so you can imagine this might be a disappointment to some people. Um, and even when you go to a spiritual director, you really want the answer. I mean, that's <laughs> deep in your heart. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but good spiritual directors, they know they don't have the answer. But they're, if they had it, they wouldn't give it to you anyway. Um, because it's about the, the journey of discernment that goes on within you. Yeah, I, I, and I think there's, there's this quality uh, that sometimes those of us who are more immersed, uh, who have the luxury of being paid to be spiritual, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, are really in contact with you know a lot of the literature, a lot of the workshops, a lot of the retreats in a way in which I think everyday folks who have these same impulses but don't have the luxury of time and don't have the access to resources, you know, are... They have the same impulses, but they just don't have the same literature. And I have to say that that literature is not easy literature to come across either. Well, it's certainly not on the Barnes & Noble bookshelf when you're you know, perusing there. Um, and it's hard to find most places. You, I, For me, I had to really tap into a spiritual community, um, the Shalem um, Center for Spirituality, you know, kind of based in D.C., and get connected to that, which connected me to more people, which connected me to more resources which then I was able to kind of bring back into my parishes. But the thread of contemplative spirituality in the Christian church has always been a small thread. It's always been sort of the minority report, um, I think, about in the Christian tradition. And so sometimes it can be hard to find, but like when I finally did, because that was kind of in the longing within me to find a way to connect with that, when I finally did, I felt like, oh, these are my people, this is my community, and this is my path. I wonder, Keith, if you have the same some part of the same struggle with this, because I agree with you. I do think that it is the minority at 
I, I can relate to saying, you know, like going to bookshelves and saying, oh, I want the good stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, don't give me Joel Osteen, don't give me, um, you know, Meyer, give me, you know, something a little bit more rich. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's definitely true. But I wonder if there's a quality as well that there is some of the bigger stuff like the OA mm-hmm. or some things that we can see that can be adapted to that role of the good stuff where we can dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, and that's why I love this project, that we're taking something that a lot of people have watched and are into and like for lots of different reasons. And then we're just asking the next question, actually. You know, we're posing, we're asking faith questions about what's going on here. So obviously some of it's very overt, like the, the connections that they're making that we've seen and will continue to see in the series. Um, but some of those connections are just a little bit below the surface or just the next question or the next question after that away. Um, and so it's right there for us. Um, if we, you know, just take the time like we're trying to do and invite people into doing um, to spend a little bit more time with this amazing content. Yeah, I, one of the things that's really stood out for me as well is I, we don't talk about death a lot as a culture, right? Like this is the penultimate question that we spend a lot of time, you know, denying mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be true for every single living creature on earth, including us. Yeah. But this show leads with it right away, yeah. right? Like <laughs> the very first episode is a woman jumping off a bridge, right? Yeah. There's, right. right. There's, no, there's no way that this is not going to be about that. And then we learn in this episode that it's about people dying over and over and over and over again. Yes. And then recording the sounds of what happens to them in this death. Yeah. She says uh, that he was killing us over and over and over again. And so what did you make of the afterlife as they you know, portrayed it in the show in, in this episode that we get to see a little more uh, in depth uh, than we do earlier in the series? Well, we have a woman who's a little bit older, right? Mm-hmm. So she's not seven years old anymore, mm-hmm. and it's also not a first experience. Yeah. So we've got some wisdom, we've got some depth, and we've got like this very kind of soft feeling place, but she wants to return then to the hardness of life because that's where her connections are. And even as she has this emotive connection with her father and she so longs to see him again. She really recognizes all these people in captivity with her. She can't leave them alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Katoon says, you know, this is what life is. It's a series of hard choices. And I think that there's, there's definitely something to that. Um, but I wonder if sometimes some of the hard choices we make are around our own, the engagement of our own spirituality. Uh, the way in which, you know, engaging that world between our conscious and our unconscious, between our spiritual and physical, you know, we've got this idea that it's dualism, that it has to be disconnected. And what I, as a Christian pastor, like is that, you know, our theology says that it's both and Mm -hmm. it's not either or it's not either or, Mm -hmm. um, but we don't live in a culture which is able to understand that. We still have a, a way in which, like, oh, it must be one or the other. Yeah, and what I like what you did in our study guide, and everybody should check it out, is that you talk about the embodied nature of the spirituality in this episode and in the series. And I think that's sometimes the missing link between, you know, the, the spirit and the world, that 
you know, I do mindfulness with my eight-year-old daughter in the mornings before she goes to school. It's really, it's good for both of us. Uh, we're doing it for her, but it's really good for me too. Um, and just the coming back to the breath and coming back to, you know, the weight of your body where you're sitting, that draws you back into this hole and kind of makes you realize like it's all connected. But until somebody invites you to remember your breathing and to pay attention to your breath or how you're sitting and where you're sitting and how that feels, we lose track of that so quickly. Because no one has taught us how to do it before. We think it's just intuitive, but mm -hmm. we don't always understand how that works. I remember being a chaplain at a hospital in uh, Denver and being with a family who'd made the decision to turn off the life support for their mother. And, you know, I was called in as the chaplain and had this very heartfelt two-hour conversation about where did you get your names and who named you and it turns out it's the woman who's dying and at the end I have the I talked to them and I said are you religious people and they said well a little bit and I said I could offer you the last rites and they said that would be incredibly meaningful and so we went through the liturgy and it used all of this language that they were unfamiliar with and at the uh, the conclusion of that the father patted me on the back, literally, and said, thanks for the little religious thing you did. <laughs> oh, no. And it was so defl it was so deflating. And I, I started to walk away thinking, that's, you know, this is par for the course. You know, we try to do something that's meaningful and it doesn't work. <laughs> but I turned back around and I saw that she had a heart rate monitor lead on her finger. Mm. And I just kind of blurted out, look at her finger. And people looked at me and I said, it's just like E.T. <laughs> and I... I walked back in the room and I told the story of, you know, a movie, a space alien who comes to Earth and is able to love a little boy who's lonely and then the alien dies and he's zipped up and, you know, then he comes back to life and he flies away on a bicycle. And everybody knew that story mm. and they loved that story and they related to that story and they could see their mother and they could see their mother in that story, huh. you know, but they couldn't understand, you know, a story of Jesus that just didn't make any sense to them. And one of the things that you've kind of shared along the way in the podcast is thinking about this show as a form of scripture that we're interpreting, we're unpacking, and we're looking at our stories in light of that story. Um, and I've heard you say that, and I'm like, I've been getting my head around that. Um, and I know where you're going with it, but then as you share that story, that kind of crystallizes it where we could look at this story. Like I remember going to see E.T. with my mom, you know, at the theater when it came out and um, how much I loved it to see that story and to find our story in that story as they did at the, the bedside. Um, I totally get that. I can totally see that. Yeah. Well, I, and I have to say as much, I think it's where we spend our time is what stories become important to us. Mm. Because, you know, I've said a couple of times that I've been so immersed within our uh, our Christian uh, New Testament and Hebrew Bible that I see these stories everywhere. Mm -hmm. This last week, I was with colleagues, uh, John and Jenny, and I started to see the OA as the <laughs> sacred scripture. <laughs> it was it was just very funny. You know, one of Jenny pointed out. She says, "It could only be us in this room. I can't imagine." And you know, the way she started telling the story wasn't like Joseph or Jacob or Miriam or Hannah or Elizabeth. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's Scott and Rachel <laughs> and Prairie. <laughs> it's so true. Like um, 
pastors are just like that. Oh, that's just like the Jesus story, or that's just like yeah. this story, or that's just like Daniel, <laughs> that's just like Jacob, that's just like Abraham. We see it everywhere. And you're right, yeah. I've been I've experienced the same thing now, watching the OA and thinking about it and writing about it, talking about it. And it's like now I'm seeing that everywhere too. So Martin, one of the big things in this episode uh, that is revealed is that the OA believes that she and everybody else in the mind there, the, those who have experienced a near-death experience, are angels. Um, and so, you know, maybe where the, the spiritual themes in the series so far, episodes one through three, have been sort of like a slow kind of burn, more subtle, this one kind of hits us big with angels and the afterlife. Um, and so... I was just thinking about, you know, what a different way of thinking about angels, you know, the kind of angelology I'm more familiar with is maybe like in the 90s, like there was a huge angel boom. I don't know if you remember that. And the angels were like, they were like little kid cherub angels. They were like angels and it's all very kind of soft, like with this bright light, kind of a Thomas Kincaid, you know, kind of oh, kind of approach to yes. angels. And I, it drove me crazy, um, that whole angel theme, because number one, I wondered how much it sort of actually took away from God. Like we're talking about angels and we can deal with the supernatural in that way. But what about, you know, God, God's self? Um, but the other one was like, when we look at angels in the Bible, um, angels in the Bible are not that at all, right? Like angels show up in the Bible and they're fierce and everybody gets afraid when the angels show up. Um, and so there was this huge contrast for me about culturally what was happening with angels and selling lots of angel books and shows and materials and all of that. And then what we actually see in the Bible, like um, the angel shows up to tell Mary, like she's going to have this baby and she's she's he, she's afraid. And it says, do not be afraid. Um, and so that's sort of these kind of more muscular, you know, kind of fierce angels is I think what we tend to see more in the Bible. And this is uh, not exactly that, you know, the OA is not kind of exactly fierce, you know, in that way. She's kind of fierce in some of her own ways. But um, I thought this was a cool depiction of what angels might be and could be. And the way that um, it's not all light and flowers and clouds, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's like a, with Katoon, like the hard choices, like this definitely not how we imagine angels to be. Well, you're you're right on so many of these counts. I mean, like just biblically, the very first words anytime angels appear are always "fear not." Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so I think, and I think that's because they do provoke fear. But if we start looking at, you know, the oh, uh, the series as its own sacred text, there's this way in which we understand physicality as mm -hmm. being very much uh, part of angel life. That captivity, yeah. uh, if if these, you know, four are uh, indeed uh, angels, that tells us something about the, the spiritual world may be uh, very much like our physical world. It may be full of danger and it may be full of evil as well as it's full of goodness and softness and, you know, kind of puppy dogs and rainbows. Uh, and maybe just as a little uh, preview of episode five, when we talk about that, we're going to share the playlist from the whole series that somebody's put together on Spotify uh, including Renata's music. But if you look at the names of the music that Hat plays, like the heavy metal that he plays to cover up the sounds of the screaming from the mine, like when the sheriff yeah. shows up and stuff like that, they're all about, it's like kind of like imprisoning the angels, like the names of these songs, actually, if you look more closely. And so, yeah, there is this sense of the angels just don't hover above everything that's going on in the world. They're also victims of it 
uh, they also have to, to wrestle with the, the good and the evil and the brokenness of the world just as everybody else does. You know, Keith, one of those facets of angels that you were uh, you had shared offline a little bit was this way in which uh, there may be like a training that people go through for their entire lives. You said mm-hmm. you had had a oh, 80-year-old woman. Can you share a little bit about this story? Yeah, sure. So uh, this past week, I made a pastoral visit to a woman in our congregation who is over 80 years old, and she had heart valve replacement. And if you have heart valve replacement and you're over 80, you know, that's some serious stuff. And so I went to the rehab center after she'd been discharged from the hospital to see her, and she was scheduled for her rehab. So we were in kind of the gym area where she was you know, going through her exercises, and she was blowing through her exercises just days after uh-huh. getting this valve replacement. So she was standing up on her toes. She walked up a whole flight of stairs, and her coordination was great, and I was just like amazed and then, so we're sitting there in between exercises uh, in the gym, and she tells me, yeah, I've been doing Tai Chi for years, that she's been going to the library where they teach a Tai Chi class. And she said, that's one of the reasons, like, I have good balance, I'm stronger. And so now she's doing all this rehab, and it's sort of like the stuff that she does at her class every week. And I was just blown away that you have this octogenarian doing Tai Chi and it just reminded me of talking about seeing the OA everywhere, right? It reminded me of the movements, you know? <laughs> so here I'm picturing her now doing the movements, but um, how that embodiedness and that movement grounded her physically, you know, at her age, that she was so steady on her feet. And that's one of the first things that people begin to struggle with. Um, but that also clearly grounded her spiritually, I thought, in the midst uh-huh. of what could be this really disruptive, difficult time that she was taking the surgery and the rehab and and everything else in stride. Yeah, and one of the things that has been so engaging to me as I've started to do a little bit of reading around this, like Tai Chi is about just redirecting energy, Mm. a lot of that. Mm. And, you know, it's as a martial art, we tend to think in the West, like, oh, it must be about self-protection or some way in which, you know, working with an aggressor. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that is taking the actual energy and the... Uh, physical action of the aggressor and redirecting it if mm. you have a partner mm-hmm. or just the physical energy around you yeah. and redirecting it. And that's, oh man, that stuff blows my mind. I mean, it's great for rehab for this woman, but <laughs> <laughs> it's also uh, it's also great for life uh, if we're surrounded by everything we're surrounded by. Yeah. And I think that's something to pay attention to as we go forward and we learn more about these movements and what they might be and how they work. Was there anything else about the angels that stood out to you? Uh, everything from the way in which Prairie gets uh, another name again. She's the mm-hmm. original. Yeah. And the the episode ends with her uh, kind of meditating on that, you know, literally, yeah. away, away, away. Well, one of the kind of funny things that stood out to me about that was when she was with Katoon in at the beginning of the episode, and they're in this space, you know, by the well and the lights and stuff. And Katoon has this moment when she pulls back her cloak and she reveals one of her wings, you know, which is the first indication of like there, this is about angels and stuff. And at the same time, I looked at it and I said, is she wearing a t-shirt under there? Like she has this really elaborate cloak. She reveals this wing. And um, one of the things I've read just pointed out, she has Braille on her face. There was a blog post and talked about all the Easter eggs in the show. And Braille shows up in lots of different places. 
and there's braille across Katoon's face. So that's something to pay attention to. But I could have sworn there was like almost like not quite a bedazzled t-shirt, but like a shirt with like a t-shirt with like gold stuff on it. And I was like, is that a t-shirt? You know, I could, I could, and I paused it and I looked and I, I couldn't, I couldn't get away from that. So here's the cloak, you know, here's the head, here's the wing. And this is a t-shirt. And as part of that kind of mix of the spiritual and the everyday that I thought was pretty, pretty interesting and pretty funny at the moment to, uh, to behold. You know, I hadn't caught that, but that now that you mention that, that really makes the scene between Jesse, who's, you know, literally smoking out of a bong with his sister Mm -hmm. and has this pretty intense conversation about angels. And she wants to dismiss him as like, you know, what are you, some sort of Christian nut job now? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he's like, no, but really, you know, mom's not here anymore. She died. Mm -hmm. Do you think she's an angel? And, you know, and then the response is, you know, I don't think angels commit suicide. Yeah. Um, But what if they do? And what if they did? Yeah. And what if they wear T-shirts and <laughs> yes. listen to heavy metal and put on uh, ski outfits like, uh, you know, uh, Steve does. Uh, <laughs> right. Or, or Scott, right, who's just so irascible uh, or Rachel, who's so depressed. You know, like the these are not what you imagine as angels, either angels as people who are so perfect and so holy in life that obviously they must graduate to becoming an angel, right? That they're yeah. not those people. Yeah. Um, or people who are above the fray of the world, and they're certainly not those people either. Yeah, I think this really starts to give uh, a much more richer and deeper textured sense of if this is serving as a guide for us, mm-hmm. um, you know, of who we want to be, suddenly we can start find ourselves within others who, you know, are not perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the Bible is full of those characters. All, all those characters in the Bible are imperfect. They're flawed, they're broken, they doubt, they disobey. Like, the whole story of the Bible is about that. And yet we somehow made the goal of faith to be not that to be the opposite of that, right? It's in the Bible when you have these characters and they do those things like Jonah runs away from God or people cheat, people lie, people steal, you know, all these things. And then God still loves them and God is still found in the midst of that. And somehow we have this idea that if we're not completely holy and we're completely devout and, you know, completely full of faith, somehow we're not going to make it. We're not okay. We're falling short. We beat ourselves up. Um, which is not, I think, the message of Scripture, nor certainly is the message of my, you know, our Lutheran tradition at all. But I think we fall into that so fast. Yeah, it, there is that temptation to, you know, be something other than what we are, and yeah. to, or to think that, you know, spiritual experiences are found within cathedrals or synagogues or mountaintops, mm-hmm. and the mountaintop experience of the spiritual that... Uh, begins the episode is being hit on the back of the head with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. She looks after, out over this great vista and gets whacked. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and then the choice is to come back not to a perfect life, yeah. but the choice is to come back to a life in which you're imprisoned and, you know, the water you have runs from a stream and the mm-hmm. food you have comes in the form of a pellet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's still a choice to come back to that because what life seems to be about in part is relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the love we form 
with one another and the care we're supposed to offer one another. Um, that's some pretty powerful stuff. We're still looking for some feedback. Uh, you know, we're, we're having really good conversations among colleagues and friends and parishioners and students, but uh, we're also looking for some feedback from uh, you all who are uh, listening and faithfully following along. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, you know, uh, Keith, you've got some new technology in addition to visiting our Facebook page and our website that uh, folks might be able to be invited for the last and really most important parts of the series. Yeah, so there's a website called SpeakPipe, and they create a way where you can basically leave a digital voicemail message. Uh, and I've seen these on other podcast websites and blogs, and we have it now on our Facebook page, the OA for Lent Facebook page. And we'll also be sharing uh, in the liner notes here the link to the actual web page itself. And so you click record right on the web page itself. It records it. We get an email letting us know. And if you want to pose a question that we could respond to, or if you have your own observation or commentary about the OA, you can record it there and we'll get it. And um, maybe we'll include it in one of the podcast episodes. So it's sort of like, you know, it's this is a little like a radio program, but you don't have that live interaction. And this is kind of a way to do that. So you record it, send it to us, and we'll put it on the show and we'll respond and we can engage more conversation partners as we go. And uh, Marty's mug in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We're especially interested in hearing from you. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're actually uh, you're actually doing this in uh, in real time, so we'd love to hear what this experience is like. Martin, as you know, I was recently in Boston for an e-formation workshop. So I was thinking about digital technology and faith formation. I talked about this project. And I also sat in on a workshop about podcasting. And it was led by Kyle Oliver, one of the founders of the e-formation movement. And Kyle said that in a podcast, you should have a sign-off. Like your podcast should have a signature sign-off. And uh, that's one of the things that we should... (laughs) be figuring out before we finish the series <laughs> what's our what's our signature sign off and, and how do we engage people um you know and wet their wet their appetite for for the next podcast for the next study guide for the next episode so we'll have to work on that as well if you have any suggestions out there leave it on our facebook page twitter on SpeakPipe. we'd love to hear what your ideas might be well until next time thanks so much is that how, how how's that work as a sign off, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. That'll work for now. Bye everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>